This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah. <coughs> uh, I, I, I'm having a funny day today because I was going to go with full sleep deprivation and go hiking with a group of, group of men and not show up here. But when I woke up this morning to go hiking, I felt so lousy that I said, I'm just going, I'm going back to sleep. So I emailed the group and said, I'm going back. I'm going back. I just can't go hiking. And so, and so, you know, what happened was I fell asleep and stayed asleep for a really long time. 12 o'clock? 1 o'clock? Not that bad, but a long time. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I feel worse. <laughs> I feel worse than had I just been sleep deprived. You ever overslept and felt waterlogged afterwards? So, so that's how I'm feeling right now, which is a little strange because makes me think I'm supposed to be in the mountains right now. But uh, obviously, I'm not. I'll have to figure out another way to the mountains this week. It's gonna be Friday. Go mountain biking. Okay, gang. Um, what we're going to discuss today is is the spiritual world. The spiritual world is the is the, the actual world, and the physical world is an outer crust of uh, physicality. Meaning, you're right now, even though you're experiencing this room in its totality, so it feels like the total reality, but it's actually the very, very outer crust of reality. We know this both kabbalistically and we know this via physics that this world is just an outer crust. In physics, we know that everything exists in frequencies. We know sound, obviously, is frequencies, because today we have digital sound. You know, we can listen to CDs and uh, listen to uh, MP3s. It's digital sound, which is fascinating. And uh, the truth is, I think it's one of the most fascinating things. But now sight is also digital, as we've all seen movies. You know, that are digital. You get a DVD and watch the movie digitally. And, uh, but things that are probably less significant, but to us seem stranger, is taste. You know, they've digitized taste now. They, they've digitized taste. So all the tastes are digital today. Um, colors also digital. Uh, LED lights. Have you guys noticed that when you're trying to figure out what tone the light is when you buy LEDs, what's usually on there? It's a number. So like 2,000 is more yellow, 4,000 is more white, 5,000 really white. So the, these are digital frequencies that are different colors and, and has created a, an amazing, amazing detail of, of color to the point where now screens, Samsung uh, being one of them, and now uh, I think the iPhone X has LED screens, which is amazing. And so black is really black. On a on an LED screen, whereas for the rest of us on more analog screens that are not digital, black is a color they've tried to create, and it it just doesn't have the same black as a digitally black screen, where it's where it's the the actual frequencies of black. Black has frequencies. Everything has frequencies. Taste. What what's the obvious question for any person who keeps Jewish law? What's an obvious question if we now know that if we now have taste digitally? What's an obvious question that would be an exciting question that someone would have wanted to ask thousands of years ago? Yeah. Can we uh, make like bacon instead? <laughs> <laughs> That's the wrong answer. 
I wasn't thinking of that. But it's cute, cute for, it's certainly a cute, cute question. I never would have thought of that. Um, what's another question in halacha? Yeah. Can we visualize emotions? Emotions. I'm, I'm, we're still on taste. But the, um, yeah, that I don't think is going to happen, to digitalize emotion. But uh, it could be. The, uh, but what about taste? Come on, guys. What's our biggest concern keeping kosher kitchens? What's our biggest concern when things and things get messed up in kosher kitchens? What are we worried about? Thank you. Say it louder. But the bashishim. Here's a nice seat right here if you want. Uh, but the bashishim. You know what but the bashishim is? But the bashishim is that that when you have sixty parts, let's say a meat soup, and you accidentally pour into it some milk. How much? Well, if it's one sixtieth. Of milk to meat, is it still kosher? Yes. If it's more than the 60th, then according to our sages, the taste of the milk is now going to be recognizable. Now, I imagine you'd have to be a culinary expert. Uh, you might not wearing shades, just so I know that you're with me. I just want to show you what it's like talking to somebody in shades. It's like this. Let me show you. I'm asking you a favor. If you don't want to give me a favor, then don't. But it's really hard to relate to you in shades. So, the um, anyway, the reason I invited you, by the way, was to connect to you. So now you're finally here, but I'm looking at like a fly. So, um, the I just wanted to teach you. So you get the teaching part. Okay. Now the the uh, where was I holding? You probably have to be a culinary expert to recognize the 160th inside the, you know, the milk and the meat pot. Because probably the rest of us wouldn't really recognize it. But when they digitized taste, all the rabbis wanted to know what, what, what's the deal. So it turns out that it's, you cannot digitally recognize. You can digitally recognize more than a 60th. You cannot digitally recognize less than a 60th. It disappears. It disappears digitally, meaning the the actual frequencies of taste disappear at a 60th, which is really cool stuff. You can Google this later. It's kind of fun stuff to Google. It's on the lines of those fun things, like for example, in Judaism, we've known kabbalistically for for you got to get rid of that bag. <laughs> You're done. We've been uh, they, the, my complainers online are like it's the ambient noise that's making us crazy. For years they're saying get a microphone, get a microphone, get a microphone. So I keep listening. I'm like it sounds great. What's the problem? So finally, years later, the head of Torani Times says it's not your voice. It's all the side noise because when you wear those lapel mics, they capture nothing but whatever's like ten centimeters from it. Anyway, I mean I got a mic. I just don't know how to get it working with this phone of mine. Now, um, the, the other thing is we're allowed to pray for the gender of a child for, we're allowed to pray for the gender of a child for 40 days, 40 days. Let's say you had, you had five boys and you're desperate to have a girl. You just want a girl. You have five boys in a row and you want a girl. So you're allowed to pray to have a girl. For 40 days. After 40 days, you're not allowed to pray to have a girl. You know why? Because according to Kabbalah, 
the gender of a child is determined on the 40th day. Why? Because that's when the soul, which is in the soul soup, gets, you know, God puts his ladle in and drops it into the fetus. It's the 40th day that the soul goes into the fetus. Now, souls don't have gender. Don't think that's why it has a gender. It's not because of the soul. Souls have no gender. The reason it has a gender now is because the soul's coming down for a tikkun. Tikkun means a rectification. Souls come into bodies to live a life, to have a rectification. No, and he, he can do that. Though. Do what? Or what if everyone prays for only male children? Then uh, <laughs> they'll now be women. Right? right. But the truth is, is God has veto power for the bonehead who can't stop praying to have girls or boys. Meaning if everyone just tries to have boys, God's going to be like, no, you know, nice try. I mean, haven't you prayed for things? And the answer was no. You know, God could easily answer no. But uh, the reason, who knows why men often and women often pray for a boy? You don't know why? Successor. Okay, that's not why. You don't know why? It's a pretty morbid thought and seems a little selfish. Has to do with death. <laughs> no, it has to do with death. Oh, carry you to the grave? <laughs> I'm sure you can find someone else to carry you. Oh, uh, say Kaddish, yeah. But a woman can say Kaddish too. Yeah, it was not the same. Not the same as a guy saying Kaddish and a minion and stuff. No, she said that in your soul. Sometimes, but it's not. Yeah, they do it for somebody to say Kaddish. So I said to this guy, he says, yeah, I'm praying for a boy that someone should say Kaddish. So he had a boy, and he was very excited because now he has someone to say Kaddish. So then it, next time his wife was pregnant, I said to him, what are you praying for this time? He's not praying for a boy. He says, why? I said, why? He says, because what if the first one doesn't make it? They even say <laughs> So he just keeps going. They even say, this is my little Kaddish. <laughs> Do they really? My little Kaddish. That's weird. Yeah. But the, the, we're all laughing. We're all laughing, but, but it could be that we don't understand. It could, we're all laughing, but it could be we don't understand what Kaddish is. I don't, but apparently... I mean, I know one thing about Kaddish. The one thing I know about Kaddish is that it interrupts trials in heaven. Kaddish interrupts trials. You know, like if you're in the middle of a trial and someone comes running in with new evidence. So... When someone says Kaddish, the trial gets interrupted on the guy who died, or the woman who died. Like, the trial gets interrupted. And then, you know, it's like a bunch of, like, you know, the, the, the judge is, like, hitting the gavel. He's like, order in the court, order in the court. And, and someone's like, I got new evidence. And they're like, what's the evidence? And you, all you hear is like, Yiskadav, Yiskadash, Mehava. You know, a whole minion's going, Amen. And they, that's the new evidence. Why is that new evidence? So what happens is the judge says, what is this great honor being awarded to God, to, to me, ultimately, because it's God? And, and then the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the defendants going like, that's my boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, okay, so judgment is paused. You know, we're pressing pause on this judgment, you know, while, while Kaddish is being said. So that's the only thing I've heard is that it, it, uh, it causes a pause, if not better than a pause. It causes good stuff in, in the next world, which is uh, why people whose kids become observant, like secular people whose kids become observant, should just leave them alone. <laughs> you don't hassle them. 
Because even though you don't understand it in this world, it's probably going to be really good later. So just let them do their thing. Yeah. Um, why does it matter to what a girl sings? I don't. I actually don't know. I, I'm telling. I don't know so much about Kaddish. It could be a girl sings the same. You're asking the wrong person. I really don't know. The only thing I can say is that at least Kaddish being said by men gets answered. Do the women answer Kaddish in a women's show, or they're just singing along with the men? They're saying along with men, so uh, I, I, maybe that's the answer. But again, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Like, I like Why aren't we just dealing with our judgment? Should have kept my mouth shut. First of all, every boy's a terrorist, and they, uh, they're just little little home terrorists, and uh, and then they're then they're often high school terrorists. And, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's probably better just to mind your own business. I, I personally didn't pray a lot for the genders of kids. Yeah, God, you do your thing. You know what's best for us and what's best for the world. Yeah, it, it brings up prayer in general. Like, what are we doing manipulating? Like, God's got a will. Why are we using prayer at all? Why are we manipulating things? Well, so one of the obvious answers is that if God gave it, if we can manipulate via prayer, it must be God set us up to do so. Yeah, please don't answer that. <laughs> the ringer's on the... Is that an iPhone? If you can shut off the ringer. No, the ringer was off. This is an alarm. Oh, really? Oh, okay. You should be well. And for all of us to give him a blessing. <laughs> Virtually. So, anyway, the uh, prayer in general is, uh, since we know it works, it must be that we're supposed to do it. But we even have a commandment. One of the, Did you guys know one of the 613 commandments is to pray when in distress? You know that? You have a, you have a Torah commandment, one of the 613, which I didn't realize, is pray in times of need. It's one of the 613, which is a little weird. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that as a commandment. Meaning, if you're in distress and you don't pray, you're kind of busted. You're supposed to pray. Like, that's your job. And it could be God created the distress for that. Which number commandment? <laughs> um, what's, what's considered distress? I don't know. I wish Neckemeyer was in here. But he'll be in. He, the guy who teaches after me, does the. he's the 613 teacher of Asia. So he can tell you which one. Um, I don't remember which one it was. I don't think it's the daily prayer one. What's that? Huh? <laughs> I mean, that's a good pasuk, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, it, it's number two hundred and sixty-three. Just kidding. Um, now back to back to Zohar. Back to Zohar. Read the one that says Zohar. Back to Kabbalah. Is that? Is that? This world is a digital world. You guys realize that if sounds digital and sights digital and and taste is digital and therefore smells are digital, that means that everything's ultimately moving frequencies. Now, we don't see that because we're on this outer edge to all of this. There is a realm that the Kabbalah goes into and all the different mystical traditions go into, a realm on the other side of this realm 
that has extreme and massive detail. Extreme and massive detail. Um, to have to have knowledge of that realm requires mystical mystical states. Meaning, there, someone would have to be in a mystical state to to experience and uh, apprehend that realm. Mystical states are achieved generally by mystics. There are there are uh, cheap ways in to the mystical state via certain plants that are in the planet, um, whether they be in the jungles or in the deserts or you know in the different parts of the earth. There are uh, there are plants. What they call, what they would call plant medicines that take you straight to that realm, but peyote, for example, in the um, in the America the American North America, America area, um, so there are cheap ways into into the mystical realms. But um, now, of course, the tribal leaders and the people people are members of these tribes who number in the. You know, I don't know the real numbers, but I imagine in the millions, meaning there's millions of Africans with access to this. There's millions of South Americans with access to this. Um, there's millions of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, various people on the planet who have access to this. They would not call it cheap. We're the ones who would call it cheap because in the Jewish world, you the way you get to these places is with serious, serious dedication and, you know, incredible, incredible discipline to get there. Now, it's kind of a funny thing because no one would expect a woman to get there. Meaning, I don't know if any ladies even have it as a goal. Raise your hand, any ladies who have a goal to reach mystical states? So one out of 12 of you, and I believe if there were 100 women in here, you would still be the only one with your hand up. So, and, and what's funny is in those traditions... In those, in those traditions of the native cultures, you listening, ladies who didn't raise their hand? Of those traditions, there's no woman who hasn't been there. Because part of your rites of passage, meaning we have bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah, part of that is going to that realm, meaning you are, there's a whole ceremony, and the, the head of the tribe, meaning the chief rabbi, Mahabil of the tribe, actually administers it to the young girl. And she's now... You know, there's going to be a lot of singing and a lot of drums, and a lot of maracas, and and there's and you know, and it's going to go all night. It's going to be purely candlelit. We're talking about the jungles, and she's going to enter into some kind of covenant between her God and the members of the tribe. And so, there's no such thing as a female who's never been there in their in their world. The African tribes, or... All, uh, most of the native jungle tribes have these rites of passage. Wouldn't it be more distracting to have music and drums and a celebration if they're on the cell phone? Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't it make them, like, there's bad trips and good trips? Wouldn't they get a bad trip by having all these excess things around? So the, the reason that they have the music and the, and the drums and all that is because the the people who are leading the ceremony are masters of that side. I mean, they live there a lot. So they know, the, they know the paths, they have the GPS and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of unsavory beings over there. Meaning in, in, we're on the outer crust here, but on the inside, there's a lot of serious heavy duty negative force. 
there. So you've just taken a 12-year-old girl and put her into there. So there are people nearby who are in touch with certain frequencies and stuff. I've been told that, I've, I've been told by peers over the years that they've been in those states being attacked by the dark side, literally being attacked. Demons. Yeah, demons being is attacked. A 12-year-old girl? <laughs> no, I've never met a 12-year-old girl like this, but this is... <laughs> Um, but I've had peers that were being attacked, and the the leader, you know, the leader who administered this experience, actually came over to them, amongst you know thirty people in a room, came over to them and started shaking leaves like serious, like lulo time, you know, think what we do once a year, we're in each direction. Shaking leaves. And if you look at the Zohar, why we're shaking those leaves? Because you all know we shake the leaves because the Torah says shake leaves. And we're such good boys and girls that we shake the leaves. But Zohar isn't talking about being good boys and girls. Zohar says that when the demonic forces are coming in for this year, at the beginning of the year, right after Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we take our lulavs and we shake these leaves. Yeah, the tip has to shake. I kind of feel bad because some, some traditions are to tightly bound the tip of the thing. I don't know where they got that idea. It's wonderful if you want to keep the top closed because remember the, the tallest one has to stay closed. So that's a good way to keep it closed. But that's like kind of uh, keeping a... I don't know how to say it right, but you're like keeping, you, I mean, you're trying to protect your lula, but you've neutered it. You, you, you wound up causing it to become ineffective. So beautiful, it's kosher, but it's no longer making the sound. So you, you got to actually have the sound be made in all the directions. And you keep bringing it back to your heart and then sending it out into the different ways of making those, those sounds. And the Zohar says that the job is to keep the dark side from, from its attack. And, and we're literally poking it, poking it with our hearts in these directions. Anyway, so a peer told me that uh, in America, a friend of mine said to me, because uh, where I grew up, these guys, my friends, we were, we were like the heavies, you know, growing up in California. We were very much into the mystical traditions. And, uh, but certainly not via anything other than these vegetations that I've already mentioned. And, but peers of mine have told me that they were in these experiences and just when they were getting attacked, the leader of the experience, leader of the ceremony, got up out of his spot where he sits, came across the room, and just started going, you know, like shaking his lulav, so to speak, right on either side of him. And he just watched these forces that were about to gobble him up just go like this. They just went like, and like scattered in like, like instant scatter. And then he was, and then he was fine. Now, how this guide in a room full of 30 people had any clue that that was going to be necessary right then. But they, but they, the, if you ask these guides, they say, you know, this stuff is never, ever to be ingested alone. Like you're always with a guide when you ingest this stuff. Back to Judaism. We, on the other hand, oh yeah, Rachman, yeah. Uh, quick question before we leave the topic. Okay. Is there a prohibition in the Torah that uh, prohibits us from taking these uh, vegetations? No, there's nothing. Nothing forbids them in the Torah. The uh, but what's interesting is it's not our tradition. Meaning our tradition doesn't have that. It's kind of interesting. 
Yeah. Yes. Would there be an issue taking them because you can have a negative side effect? Like, I know if you take certain drugs, you can, um, and you're prone to like um, mental issues. People with mental illness should probably avoid these things. Well, some people don't know it's dormant. Like, if it's a dormant thing for generations and you didn't know you had it, uh-huh. it could. So, so there's certain ages where things like, for example, schizophrenia might show up, and uh, schizophrenia is probably the one that's going to be most dangerous for this. So, so there's certain ages where it probably would have showed up by now. So I suppose it would be good for that person if they knew it was in their family line to avoid it. Before. But I'm not even saying I'm promoting this for anyone. I'm just you're asking a very specific technical question about someone with a with a I'm proclivity to mental illness. So yeah. If, could be harmful. I, I don't know. You got to go. I've done some Googling of this, and it seems that they've been using it to cure these mental illnesses more than having them, causing them to set in. Like they're using it more for a cure, which sounds really bizarre. But okay. Yeah. What's your name? Alexander. What's up, Alexander? Uh, why did you skip the part where capitalists gone trans and then because uh, they were on Twitter now gone and go to flames and that? Can you ask that again? <laughs> I just missed it. The whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. You said, mentioned something about capitalists entranced. Yeah. Say it again? Because they were pure enough. Pure enough? Pure enough. Oh, pure enough. Pure enough. Yeah. So I'm not used to talking to Texans. They, they got engulfed in flames and died. Yeah, what about them? Well, you skipped that part. Yeah, <laughs> I skipped that part. <laughs> You're amazing. Can you be on my what? Can you be on my, my live feed? So, uh, what's your. Yeah. Just for fun. They love seeing everybody. Look. <laughs> You look amazing, bro. Sorry, everybody, you don't get to see this amazing guy. Hey, Michael, wow, can't believe you're on. This guy's from Texas. <laughs> there's a guy from Texas. Where are you from in Texas, Michael? Send me a, there, there's a guy from Texas just asked an amazing question about Kabbalists who, in a trance, got engulfed in flames, and he's wondering why I skipped that part. So, we're going there in a second. Uh, I was just saying that it's not our tradition to be doing this. Yeah. It's our tradition is different. I'm going to be going into our tradition now. But one thing that I'd like to mention that's kind of interesting though is that the molecule, you ready for this? The molecule in the the molecule in the strongest of all those plant medicines that are, that is, you know, that is from these tribes. It occurs in all organic material, meaning that molecule is in all of us. Um, it's also in your own brain. You have a gland inside your brain that actually secretes it. And um, and that has something to do with your dreams at night. Your dreams apparently are because there's a secretion of that molecule that comes out of your brain. Meaning it's this, <laughs> the stuff that sounds like the most foreign thing you've ever heard is actually inside you. And when you dream, you're there. And the, and the, the, but it's in all things and it's certainly in all plant material. Anything organic has it, but uh, so they so scientists want to see where it's the most occurring. So it's the most occurring in vegetation, and then they said, "Well, of all the vegetation, where is it the most occurring?" So it's the most occurring 
in in a tree. And of all the trees in the acacia tree, and in the acacia trees, there's over 120 acacia trees. In the acacia trees, guess which acacia tree it's the most occurring? The acacia tree, which is called the it's called the shita or atse shitim. It's in the shita tree. Yeah, it's in the shita tree that is grown in this region of the world, which is where the ark of the what the ark of the covenant's made of. That's where it's most occurring. So, like, the thing that makes you dream at night, that they've somehow figured out how to isolate and administer, taking people to a completely different realm, is in most den- its most dense form inside of... And it's in all vegetation, but in its most dense form in the Ark of the Covenant, which has metal on the inside, the shita, meaning the acacia on the middle... And then metal on the outside, which, what is that? Does anyone know anything about having something metal and then something that's not metal, meaning something that's um, neutral, and then something that's metal? What is that? What, what happens when you have metal, neutral, and then metal? You know what that creates? That's how you create electric circuits. The entire electrical world is, is metal neutral metal and that creates electric current and so so i'm not going into much detail on this but let's just say the ark of the ark of the covenant is much more than we realize of what was really going on there and very interesting that it had poles wood with metal that were you're not allowed to ever remove them like you put them in never remove them all the rest of the all the rest of the uh, vessels also had staves to carry it but you remove once you set it down, you remove the staves. Whereas the Ark of the Covenant, once those staves were put in, you're never allowed to take them out. And it's kind of interesting that we used to take it out to war. When I first saw that, you know, I was I only started learning Torah when I was 23. When I saw you're supposed to take it out to war, I'm like, don't take that thing out to war. Like that's what you hide while you're at war. No, no, that's what we put in front of us. And then you read about the wars, and it turns out like we decimate the crap, the other guys. And we have no casualties. We have so many wars like that, where the other side gets completely wiped out. And there's zero casualties amongst Israel. And they're coming out with this giant, you know, uh, convector, or uh, uh, you know, uh, electrical, I don't know what it was, really. I have no idea. But it was uh, some kind of conveyor of massive power. And, uh, and was then hidden... I mean, they did finally hide it, but that was because the temple was being destroyed by, you know, they hid it uh, around the time of the tw- 10 tribes got taken out of Israel. They hid, they hid the ark underneath the Temple Mount. And it's, it's in the Temple Mount area, and it's, uh, it's hidden under there. No one's going to ever find it until it's time. And, uh, and it's been there ever since. They don't have the ark. They have the menorah. They have a lot of other things, but the Vatican doesn't have the ark. Yeah. Um, back, back to us. Oh, Michael Frederick says White House. Is there a place called White House, Texas? Is there? Yeah, he's on with us. I'm sure, you don't want to say hi. I think you look marvelous. Say hi. Just say hi. You want to say? You wave. Okay, we're gonna get a wave. What's your name again?
Alexander. Oh, Alexander. Okay. Everyone, we're going to say hi to Alexander. Uh, say hi. This is, you can't see them, they can see you though. Oh. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> where, are you from, where are you from in Texas? Houston. Houston, Texas. He's from Houston. Okay. Oh. Every, every time I travel to the U.S., you know, I meet all the people who watch this every day, and, they, and they're always like, show the crowd, show the crowd. Like, they, I guess they're bored of me or something. Like, they, don't, they just, it's so much more interesting. Meanwhile, the Tory New Time crew says, don't show the crowd, don't show the crowd. Maybe it'll create, like, a legal issue or something. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm talking to these guys. No offense to you guys, Tory New Time guys, but I'm like, hello, it's 2018. Like, like go on YouTube. Like, it's like a total free-for-all, you know, who's on screens these days. Like, yes, you're right. In, like, 1985, I think someone might have a bone to pick if you put them on screen somewhere. But today it's like... Have you noticed wherever you go, people are just kind of like doing their live feeds, you know, as they walk around the world. You know. Go go sue one of them. <laughs> now, let's keep moving. Um, our tradition, Judaism, is a tradition of prophecy. You probably weren't expecting me to say that. Our tradition of tradition of prophecy. Tell me, does prophecy require uh, that you ingest something? Well, it requires that you don't ingest something, and that's called non-kosher food. <laughs> you, you definitely are not going to get prophecy if you're eating non-kosher. But prophecy requires, you know, extreme spiritual cleanliness, extreme, and and there's really nothing you could do to get it, but you can create the conditions for it. Meaning, meaning you can develop yourself to get cleaned out enough. You also have to be intellectually super, super um, mature. Why? Because all reality is going to be suspended. I mean, how sane would you be if all reality was suspended and then you come back an hour later? You know, you're going to be, you're going to be walking around like dazed and confused for the rest of your life if all reality were suspended. So you're having all reality suspended in prophecy. So God's only going to give that to someone who's got the level of intellectual maturity to have a very loose grasp in, in his or her relationship to reality. Meaning the rest of us really like that down is down and up is up and right is right and left is left. Like We like that. We like that. We like that our toothbrush is where we left it. You know, that's good. And it keeps us normal. You notice how sometimes you're living with people and they touched your stuff and you feel like you're going to go crazy. <laughs> so this is like, you feel like you're going to go crazy times a billion because like nothing's where it was. You know, nothing's where it was when you're having prophecy. It makes, it makes these, you, you, earlier when I was talking about the people on these potions from the Amazon or whatever, you know, that sounded pretty freaky, right? It makes that look like they were drinking grape juice. Okay? It makes it look like vitamins. That stuff look like vitamin C. Yeah. Prophecy is way, way more intense. But you want to know something interesting about it is it's not a teacher prophecy. It's not a teacher. 
Meaning those, those medicine experiences where people are on these plants, they're learning the whole time. Prophecy isn't learning. Prophecy is, is a direct takeover of all of your intellectual faculties, and you are given something. See, we all think of a prophet as someone who sees the future. That's not a prophet. That's someone who sees the future. Prophecy is to be given directly from God a message. The highest form of prophecy that there ever was was 613 commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. You call that seeing the future? That's not seeing the future. That's being told. That's basically being told, hey, Moses, this is what's up. And it's not a big learning experience. Now, all of the halachas, that's all the detail of what's up. Whereas people who are Kabbalistic, meaning mystics in Judaism, or the mystics of other traditions, they're going into the world, all the caverns and roadways and alleyways of the divine and they're understanding the system that leads to our outer crust. That's learning. Meaning someone in the mystical traditions is learning about all the intricate worlds of the mystical divine world. Whereas prophecies way beyond all of that mystical realm. It's beyond all that. It's the oneness before the multiplicity of the, you know, extremely, extremely multifarious spiritual world. I mean, why would we have any other commandment than Shema? God should have just given us one commandment. Say Shema and connect to the oneness. You ever thought about that? Like, give us one, like, if the true reality of, of all existence is that there's this oneness beyond the divine that filters its way down to our outer crust world, if that's what's up, so, okay, give us one commandment, we'll say Shema. So what's with the boxes on the arm and the head? What's with the cosmic dental floss? What's with Shabbos? Like, what does God care? What does God care what we do on the seventh day in our piddly little realm that doesn't even take up a grain of sand compared to our galaxy? Our, you realize our Earth isn't even a grain of sand in our galaxy, and there's countless other galaxies. And God cares what you do on the seventh day. And then we open up our prayer books on Friday night, Shabbos night, and we're like, you know, you sanctified the seventh day for your sake. Meaning, this is what you're all about. Like, what? What do you care? But it's all about that. Tachlis The essence of all of God having created heaven, meaning all the parallel realms, we just, you know, all the, you know, infrastructure of the spiritual. Shemayim, var, it's our outer crust. The Tachlis is Shabbos. And then with thousands of laws of how to make sure you don't break Shabbos. That are what? 39 overarching principles. That are what? The 39 overarching principles of what it takes to create a Mishkan. 
which is what? A microcosm of the entire spiritual world, which is that intricate world. And so we're not allowed to like, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't know, take a little sunscreen and like smear it onto my arm. Because smearing was part of the, I guess, the ink and the dyes involved in the, in the uh, creating of the curtains for the, uh, for this microcosm of the universe. Why? Because it says that in six days he made it, and on the seventh day he rested from all it takes to make a universe. Therefore, you, as a person from the prophecy of Sinai, the only time an entire nation experienced a direct, full-on God experience of prophecy as a nation, that just like God rests from creating the universe... In all those details, on the seventh day, we have to refrain from the 39 acts that it takes to create the microcosm of the universe, otherwise known as the tabernacle, which is the microcosm of all of the universe. It is a highly Kabbalistic day, Shabbos. And what's interesting about it is it's the holiest day. Trump's everything. Trump's chauffeur. You can't blow chauffeur if it lands on Rosh Hashanah. Trump's Megillah, if it lands on Purim. Trump's uh, uh, fasting on most days except Yom Kippur, but that's only because Torah says that Yom Kippur is the Shabbos of Shabbos. Otherwise, it would, wouldn't trump it either. But it trumps Tisha B'Av. It trumps... Um, uh, what other important day does it trump? Trump's another important day. I'm not going to kill Yes, Hanukkah, we can't lie. What? Right, lulav. Like, you have a commandment to shake a lulav on Sukkot, but you can't shake it. And and the first day of Sukkot, you have an extra Torah commandment to shake it. Like, it's really a Torah commandment. Nope. No shaking. Interestingly, though, in the temple, when you came for the pilgrimage during temple times, could you shake it on Shabbos? You could shake it. There you could shake it. What? What about it? We do it, don't you? Yeah, we do it. Now, welcome to Israel. You're going to have an amazing job. You're getting Birkas Khan. So, it's, um, oh, by the way, uh, Ashkenazim only do Birkas Khanim in Israel. You know why they don't do it outside of Israel? You ready for this? Craziest thing. You know what it says? Why there's no Birkas Khanim outside of Israel? Only on holidays. No, but every day. There's a couple rules. Happy. You also have to love everyone in the shul. Not an easy task if you're Jewish. And, um, and another one is you can't be... Oh, they're afraid that they'll be thinking about money. It literally says this in a halacha. That the Kohanim might be thinking about money while doing the, you know, the Star Trek, you know, um, Birkas Kohanim. Well, not everyone accepted that. So the Persians didn't accept that, and uh, many Sephardic communities did not accept that. It could be that when you lived in Morocco, 
that you were never thinking about money because there just was none. You know, so I don't know. So why doesn't Israel say, like, the Bakasha? What Bakasha is inside what? About, like, dreams and about... Oh, that dream thing by the Kahanim. I don't know, but I guess just logically it must have some ability to fix our dreams. I don't know. I never knew why, but it's pretty fascinating that we have that... Uh, and unfortunately, the Shulai Davenant don't do the whole song, so you can say the prayer about fixing your dreams. So. What's that? It takes. It takes. Too long. takes. Um, okay. Uh, where are we holding? So that's prophecy, and that's Shabbos. And, and just one more thing I'd like to add is that we don't need to know all that stuff. Meaning, if you really, I mean, this lady's probably the only one in here with this Kabbalistic desire to know this stuff. Raise your hand of the men who has a desire to know the Kabbalistic stuff. It's almost, you know, like, not all of us, but, you know, with the exception of one, every guy raised his hand. Kind of interesting. Kind of interesting that, that the guys want to know this stuff. I don't know what's wrong with us, but we, we want to know all the oogly-googly Kabbalistic level stuff. But you want to know something? To be a good Jew, to be connected to God, is a, it's a fiber-optic link, a fiber-optic link to God via our prayers and stuff. Meaning, uh, we could have some young lady from uh, wherever. Uh, where are you from? Some young lady from Brooklyn. How old are you? 18-year-old from Brooklyn, you know. She's just walking down the street in Brooklyn, you know, on her way somewhere, and and she walks by some guy with like, you know, Brooklyn has every kind of person. So she walks by some guy with like a big bone going through his nose, you know, and he's like he's like this tall with a giant afro, and he's like he's like been he's been brought by the people of the Amazon to Brooklyn for a major, you know, like like uh, some major mission for like for like some uh, uh, panel discussion amongst mystics of the planet. And he just had to get 7-Eleven for something, you know. So here goes like Mr. Mystic, like walking by with his bag full of God knows what, you know. And he walks by, uh, what's your first name? Ayala. What? Ayala. Walks by Ayala from Brooklyn, who's just like, you know, Basiaco or whatever, you know. And so meanwhile, she, Ayala, has a direct relationship with the creator of the universe who created all that mystical and magical detail that Mr. Bone in the Nose has, you know, like tremendous knowledge of. And people are coming from all over to hear him speak. And she's got a relationship with the king. And, and no offense, but she don't know Jack from any of those worlds, which I'm sure you're not embarrassed to admit. What does she know from any of that? And, and she doesn't. She didn't raise her hand either for about caring about them either. Like she didn't really care either. She's connected to the King of the Universe and Mister Know It All on his way to his big panel discussion, being filmed by you know the Discovery Channel or whatever. knows there's a being, meaning he's not an idiot. He knows that there's no way that stuff came out of nowhere. Like, all those details. He knows they're from somewhere, but he never met where they're from. That's not part of the program there. You don't get to meet the maker of it all. 
and they say that there's it's so awesome there anyway you're like you're it's hard to get your jaw off the floor to even get to the mental awareness that hey wouldn't it be interesting to find out who caused all this like there's so, you're so floored by the experience you'd never even think about where it's coming from but meanwhile she and you and you and you and you and you and you all of us all of us simple little yidla as little jewish guys have a relationship to the king of the universe. And the reason why is because we are the direct descendants of 3,329, and a couple more days, 30, 3,300 and almost 30 years, close to three and a half millennia of a full national prophetic experience where we had prophecy, which is not working your way up some Kabbalistic system, but it's rather getting a major from up down gift of divinity but not divinity rather the divine will of the actual creator the king of the universe like we got a king of the universe rendezvous and isn't it interesting we got it in the Sinai in the Sinai desert anyone here ever been in the Sinai desert me I've been in the Sinai desert it's one of the only places you can tell three million people a secret. The Sinai Desert is one of the only places on the planet, at least in the civilized world, this is where the civilization was living at the time. It's one of the only places, and certainly if not maybe the only place in this area, in civilization, where you can tell three million people a secret. And give them all that direct link. We are direct descendants of that link, and we still walk around proud of it. Not that it's anything, like, not that it, arrogance. I'm saying we're all walking around knowing that I don't need to know all the intricate details. It's enough that I keep Shabbos. It's enough that I keep kosher. It's enough that I read King David's Psalms. It's enough that I am doing my daily commandments. That's enough. Because I'm in a relationship with the king. Yes, I might have a desire to know those inner worlds. And perhaps for some, it's very confirming. It's a bit of a cheat, but a highly confirming experience for those who've been there. It's like, it would take any atheist immediately from atheist to believer in a matter of, like you could be a PhD atheist and go from atheist to believer within a matter of about 30 seconds. And then when you came, when he came back, he'd have people would ask him, "How did you suddenly become a believer?" He'd be like, "Well, it'd be a little hard to explain, but there's definitely something beyond this physical world. There's definitely something beyond the physical. We're in a direct covenant with that being. So consider yourselves super, super blessed." Thank you very much. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.